As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to the Big Football Show, the Athletics Daily Podcast dedicated to Big Ten football. I'm Nicole Auerbach, National College Football Writer, Analyst for the Big Ten Network. And as always on Mondays, I am joined by Scott Dockerman, our Iowa Beat Writer. Glad to be back. And as always, we wanted to thank you, our legends and listeners, for spending some time with us and adding us into your podcasting rotation. If you like us, please subscribe, rate, and review us. Five stars, just like Ari Wasserman's favorite prospects. And Scott, it's good to be back. I'm glad Ari held down the fort for me last weekend, but uh, you know, we, we've got a lot to, to parse through. So I'm glad that I am back for this. Yeah, I'm glad you're back too. And uh, yes, this has been, um, you know, there's a lot to be thankful for, uh, especially with football. But right now um, there's a lot of chaos right now when it comes to the Big Ten. I mean, I kind of look at it as instead of having your Thanksgiving dinner it's everything in the same pot. It's like a jambalaya of Big Ten football right now. And it's there's really a lot of it's really difficult to untangle some of this. And especially when we start to look forward forward to the uh, uh, championship game here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, it, it's funny. You're like, yeah, there, there's stuff to be thankful. I, you know, we have a season that there are games, but honestly, people just seem to have kind of moved past Thanksgiving very, very quickly and back into complaining about everything mode, which is part of the sports experience. So I, I understand that. Um, I, and I think there's a lot of angst in, in Columbus. And let's start there because this is the team that didn't play this weekend, um, but is now on the brink of eligibility for the Big Ten championship game. Ohio State is dealing with COVID issues. On Friday night, they announced that they were not going to be able to play Illinois on Saturday. Again, there's math involved, but for, you know, just kind of the basics is if you lose more than two games, you're not eligible for the Big Ten championship game. Ohio State lost a game earlier in the season when Maryland had COVID issues and Ohio State just canceled this. Now, I, I went on the Zoom. Gene Smith, Ryan Day, and Dr. Jim Borchers had a Zoom on Saturday morning 
answering questions about the timeline of how this all came about. Ryan Day himself tested positive, so he's in isolation at the moment. They are focused on trying to give their team and their players an opportunity to play next Saturday against Michigan State. And, and that's really what this is going to come down to because if that's their third cancellation, they won't be able to play for a Big Ten championship. Yeah, and that's really interesting and really challenging for the league, for Ohio State, um, a, an institution that fought diligently to play football this year. Um, and I think in some ways what we're looking at is the combination of, okay, we we were able to get in this season, but the Big Ten kind of dragging its feet as long as it did and then starting so late and not yep. building in any bye weeks and then having this kind of rigid qualification to get to Indianapolis uh, might end up hurting the one team that had the best chance of getting the distance. I mean, as Gene Smith had said previously, he laid all the cards on the table and said, we have a team to go the distance. And, uh, and now when it comes to the Big Ten championship, which is really – not the focus for Ohio State this year, it could prevent them from reaching their ultimate destination. Now, what does this mean for the C uh, CFP? That's a real, that's also a big question because uh, if Ohio State, let's say they can't play against Michigan State, but then they play Michigan, they're going to get probably a quality opponent in that crossover challenge, whether it's Iowa or Wisconsin, most likely which may be both of them, even though they both lost to Northwestern, they may be better opponents, frankly. Uh, and then what? <laughs> you know, if you have a, a team that's uh, at that point 6-0, and undefeated, that passes the eye test, will it get into that top four? And that's really the biggest question right now. Yeah, and, and I think that's interesting and, and important because in a lot of the conversation about Ohio State in the playoff right now, I think people are forgetting that they will get a game that weekend. And – this exact situation already happened to Wisconsin. They're ineligible for the Big Ten championship game because they have missed three games. So this does potentially set up a scenario where it's Wisconsin versus Ohio State in the 2v2 game, which is what we thought was, was, was you know, likely to be the championship game. Um, so it is another data point. This is not – it wouldn't be a five-game, uh, a five-win team. You'd be at least at six – um, and to your point, you would have a quality opponent. So I, I do think that's an interesting wrinkle that people are not focused on just yet. Um, also, Ohio State was not entirely forthcoming on the amount of um, positives and versus contact tracing and, and, and all of that. So we don't actually know the status of the Michigan State game yet. Um, you know, they made it clear that they, they had passed the threshold of – the Big Ten has two thresholds. They had passed the one on the population positivity, um, but they did not pass it on the test positivity rate. So, they, they, like, in layman's terms, they didn't have to shut down. They're, if you go into red, red, it's a seven-day mandatory shutdown for the program. They chose to because they saw the warning signs they wanted to get it under control. It's possible that that game next Saturday is Still going to be an option. We'll see. We, we don't know yet. We don't know um, exactly how this is. I think one thing that was very clear in the Zoom 
that Gene Smith said repeatedly is the county that they are in, that Columbus is in, is one of the worst hit counties in the country right now in terms of COVID. So a lot of this is community spread, which we knew was going to be a challenge with a sport outside of a bubble in in the first place. Um, But I think your point is absolutely correct about the Big Ten's delay and then not having any bye weeks. I mean, that was, you know, again, when you decide you're going to play in the fall, you're going to play a shorter season, and you're going to try to get in all those games, that was going to be an issue. But the other leagues do not have these rigid guidelines on the championship game in the same way that the Big Ten does. And I think that's where you're hearing a lot of the angst right now. Um, Brady Quinn was on the Fox Big Noon kickoff show, basically begging Kevin Warren to change that criteria um, for Ohio State to be eligible. And, you know, it's I'm sure it sounded fine, right? And, And all of these schools signed off on it, including Ohio State. Everyone agreed on these protocols. Um, But maybe that was at a point in the year where we didn't quite realize how easily an outbreak turned into a loss of two games and not just one because of contact tracing, because of isolation and return to play protocols. So I don't know. I I don't think that that will be changed. I think the more likely scenario here is, um, is, as you described, getting a pretty quality opponent in the 2v2 game. But who knows? Because, you know, when, when you think back about why teams fought so hard to play this fall season, Ohio State, as you said, made it very clear. It was if this particular team had a chance to win a national title. That's why they wanted to play in the fall of 2020. So that would be a huge blow and 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 very frustrating to to a lot of people who who worked really hard to make this fall season happen for that chance for a college football playoff contender. Yeah, it's that's where the angst lies. I mean, the angst doesn't lie with them not qualifying for the Big Ten championship because you know, hey, they've they've got enough bling there that it, that's not that's not what's going to matter to them. It's it's getting into the tournament, and would six games um, be enough for them to get ahead of the second team out of the SEC, the second team, you know, either the Clemson or, or Notre Dame team, or Scott, or it's or what about Cincinnati? What if what if Cincinnati plays ten games? Right. And you're looking at comparing six games with 10 or 12 or, or, well, not 12, but, you know, something to that effect. I mean, that's a lot to, that's a lot to digest. And for those teams, they could say, look, we played a full season. We played 10, 11 games and here you're playing six and you've had multiple ones, you know, three of them canceled. That's, that's hard for them to digest, but that's where this has been the most difficult year, obviously, for the committee. I mean, in the past, they've had to slice apart, you know, resumes that were semi-equal. There's nothing equal with this. This isn't even a fruit analogy you can throw out, apples, oranges, whatever. I mean, this is just not the same at all. I mean, so that's going to be the challenge. But I do think, you know, Ohio State, can't. you know, if Indiana, let's say Indiana beats Wisconsin next week. Then it and then it probably will play Iowa in the in the finale. And Iowa right now has the most uh, you know point differential, the best point differential in the Big Ten. So if they can say, look, we've beaten Indiana, we've beaten everybody in our division, we've played, we beat Iowa, a, a good crossover team. We feel like we have the type of team based on the eye test to get there. I think that's a legitimate point. It's just going to be um, you know how do they sell this and then. Uh, you know, they're going to ask a lot for Gary Barta, the, the Iowa AD, who's the head of the CFP, to to make that case. And, uh, you know, he's going to put a, you know his reputation at stake. Because, again, if you have an undefeated Cincinnati, um, 
you know, what, what would they be 11 and 0 at that point? Uh, you know, or let's say Clemson beats Notre Dame. Both of those teams have a case and Ohio state's played almost half the number of games. That's, that's going to be an interesting case in that, in that uh, discussion room. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, and to to finish out your analogy there, you know, I, I agree apples to oranges is not is not accurate. I would say it's like a clementine compared to a filet mignon. I mean, like these are just totally different food groups and and different qualities um, that they have and in levels of difficulty. I mean, you know, I, I thought that it was pretty clear. I, I do think the selection committee's top seven or eight was was pretty good and and um, you know defensible. But I think it was pretty clear from that point on the rest of the rankings that this was the most challenging year that they've ever had. And because I disagreed with so much of the rankings and the way that they were viewing these teams especially BYU. I mean, again, this is a year where you've got to rely on the eye test and that team passes it. And, and, you know, so there were definitely some challenges and the lack of data points is, is one of the reasons that this is happening. So I could absolutely see a team that played 10 games being viewed differently than one that played six. Um, but, but we'll have to see. I mean, I, I think that it's, it's a really interesting wrinkle. And again, the important piece here is that, Ohio State will have a game the weekend of December 19th, um, which, again, I think is being a little bit lost in, in translation. You know, another team that was in the top 10 of the, of the CFP rankings and was thought to and, and truly did control its own destiny if they won out was Northwestern. Um, it, it's quite possible that Northwestern, um, you know, maybe paid a little bit too much attention to all the nice things that we've been saying about them for a week. Um, went a little hard in on the fighting Reese Davises and, and all of these things. They end up losing to Michigan State um, in East Lansing. And, you know, now it's like, okay, you're probably going to win the West. Um, you're going to get it to the Big Ten Championship game. But uh, I, I do think the wind is, is, is out of their sails a little bit here. Yeah, it is for sure. I mean, this is a team that rushed for 63 63- you know, yards uh, against Michigan State, a team that I saw that didn't even show up. It seemed like a Kinnick. I mean, you know, Mich- Northwestern has played kind of, you know, really close to the to the boundary against Iowa, against uh, Wisconsin. You know, some of the other teams that they've won, they play they played with an edge, a chip on their shoulder, a never quit attitude. But I agree with you that you know the Fighting Reese Davises. Once you go from being the underdog, the slighted underdog, to the favorite, you've got to channel something different. Um, so I think in this case, they they probably got too he- got too full of themselves. You know, they got down seventeen to nothing on the road against a team. Like I said, you know, I saw Michigan State lose forty nine to seven, and it wasn't even really that close, frankly. I mean, if there would have been six quarters, it would have been seventy seven to seven. So to to see what Northwestern didn't do takes a lot of shine on them. Now, I will say that I think they're a good team. 
I think they're a competitive team, and I think they can fight with about anybody if they bring that. But what we saw was, uh, you know, Peyton Ramsey really struggled. You know, mm-hmm. they had four total turnovers, and he didn't complete half of his passes. And uh, they they also generated no sacks on Rocky Lombardi. So I think you're you're seeing a team that needs to kind of go back and be what it is. It's going to win the West because most likely Minnesota is not going to be able to play this week. And so there's no chance to even lose it, which is kind of right. unfortunate. Uh, but that said, uh, you know, it could, I, you know, I think they could compete with just about anybody. But this was a this was a definite wake up call for the fighting fences. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And and to your point, um, you know, the offense has been the question mark when we thought in, you know, in, in what we had seen to, to date that they were just good enough, right? They could come back against teams like Iowa. They could put things together. Um, you know, they could they could eat clock. And, you know, they just they, – they weren't able to do any of the things that they needed to stay the course in this game and, and let their defense cook. Um, but I will say that Michigan State now is having one of the strangest seasons out of anyone in the country – I believe that the Spartans have this chaotic energy that we need in 2020 because we need the weird. And they now, their only wins so far in the Mel Tucker era, year one, are over your in-state rival in Michigan and a Northwestern team that was ranked in the top 10. It is bizarre and confusing, confounding. There's like things you're going to be excited about if you're Michigan State fans. There are plenty of things you're going to scratch your head about. But, you know, like Rocky Lombardi looked great early in this game. Like things that we're not used to seeing. They were The deep ball was working. There, there was just a lot happening um, in this game. And so, you know, I, again, I don't know what you take away. I've been thinking about Michigan State and Mel Tucker, especially because he took over so late in the calendar year as like a year zero but like the two wins they have like definitely count for something, even though like there were weird circumstances around them. Michigan is super, super down. It's just bizarre, but I, but I kind of love it. Like I kind of love how bizarre the season is for Michigan state. And like, even though, even if they just, even if they lose out and these are their only wins, like there's enough there that you're like, huh? Okay. Mel Tucker. Right. Like I, I think there's something to be said about the, the wins that they have even in the weirdest of years and some of those blowout losses. <laughs> you know, there's like that plus 10, minus 10 scale on, on where you evaluate most people or most things. They are way beyond the minus 10 on their losses. I mean, their losses were horrible. They were garbage. I mean, they had like, what, eight turnovers against Rutgers and losing by double digits, 49 to 7 against Iowa, like I said. And then, and then they get shut out by Indiana. Um, who would have ever dreamed that in a million years and you know a few years ago? Uh, but then, yes, their wins. Number thirteen, Michigan at home, you know, the, or at on the road. It was a an amazing victory for them. And then, likewise, uh, to beat number eight, Northwestern, who is a rival for them. That's one that way back when, when they went legends and leaders, that then AD Mark Hollis said. I'm fighting for Michigan and I'm fighting for Northwestern. Those are the two teams we want to play every year. And, and the the whole uh, land grant trophy did not matter. It want, He wanted to get into Chicago. He wanted Northwestern. And that's why they got matched up for six straight years, even when, when they went east-west. So it's interesting to see what happened here. I just, I think there's a lot to build on. 
I think they are just the the swing is just the, it's a pendulum. It's so crazy. You just don't know where it's going to go. And I think that's part of the the charm, if you will. Um, but <laughs> you know, Shakir Brown really had a really nice game. You know, two interceptions. You know, in the fourth quarter, they they controlled almost ten minutes and thirty seconds. It was just a quite the game, but. You know, what does this mean for them big picture? Well, I guess it's something that he can build on. And I'm really anxious. I don't know what will happen this week. I hope they get to play Ohio State. But the final game or the regular season game against Penn State, to me, mm-hmm. is it's kind of a – it's a bigger game than normal. And, and not because of standings, but momentum in the post in the – you know, in, into 2021. Because I, I think Penn State is a victim of its schedule – in a lot of ways, and it's injuries. Uh, NFL teams have to have this happen to what happened to Penn State all the time, which is they the NFL tends to match up good teams right from the bat, and then somebody goes 0-2 and, and the pressure is on, somebody gets hurt, and next thing you know they're 6-10, and 10, and you're like, yeah, that team went to the playoffs last year. It's good. And I think that's kind of the case with Penn State. They didn't look very good when I covered them against Iowa, but that said, they, they have a lot of good pieces. That's, I think that's a really good point um, that, you know, this season can get off the rails in a similar way to, to an NFL team in, in that exact way. Um, and, and obviously they, they got hurt more than most with, with opt-outs, with injuries, um, you know, and, and the like. And again, I, I just keep going back to the way that they lost that game to Indiana to open the season and just what that takes out of a team. But today is Monday. Today, Penn State is coming off a win. We're going to talk about that. The Ninny Lions get their first win of the year over Michigan. It was Michigan's first loss ever to a team that was 0-5. So lots of history made all around. Um, It was not the prettiest of games, (laughs) to say the least. Um, And we didn't expect it to be. Um, But, but, you know, again, there is a lot of historic lows that both of these programs were – facing and, and confronting and dealing with this year. Um, but Penn State gets in the win column. Um, and you just got to feel good for the players. They've been, they've been going through a lot. They've had um, a lot of criticism. Again, a lot. When you lose players to, you know, career-ending injuries, season-ending injuries, opts out, that, that's not easy. Um, and, and, again, these were this was one of the programs that really did get vocal about wanting to play. And you just got to feel for the players. So, um, again, this is this season is not going the way that they wanted, but they were able to get in the win column. Um, and again, you know, the, the pressure continues to, to build in, in, in Ann Arbor. Um, you know, it was certainly interesting with the timing of Matt Patricia being fired during that game and the news being shared during that broadcast. Um, and, you know, immediately thinking, huh, maybe there's a landing place for Jim Harbaugh that kind of allows this to end amicably. Who knows? But, you know, again, both these programs – you know, no one's no one's thrilled with how the season's going. Uh, you know, but, but one of them had to win the game, one of them had to lose, and uh, that's kind of like what I took out of that one. Yeah, it was interesting from the matchup purposes right away. I mean, you know, and usually this is one of those circle games on the schedule for both for the networks, for the fans of both teams. Uh, this is one that if it's not under the lights, it's certainly got you know, big noon appeal or mid-afternoon, late-afternoon appeal, depending on the network choice or who gets to pick it. It's a must-see game year in and year out, probably one of the top five or six in the Big Ten. 
And for it to be even on ABC was kind of laughable just because you're looking at an 0 and 5 Penn State and a 2 and 3 Michigan. But, uh, you know, I, I think they're both kind of in a similar situation. It was just on the misery index, which one was worse off. And, and uh, Michigan is because I think Penn State gets the mulligan this year. In my opinion, they get the mulligan because they've had they've demonstrated a lot of success over four years. They probably um, alongside Wisconsin have been the best, the second best program in the Big Ten, 2A, 2B, whatever you want to say um, this year again. Yeah, if they win that game against Indiana, if that's called not a two point conversion at the very beginning and a ruling stands. They lose to Ohio State. They still got something to play for. And then once they went 0-2, nothing was there. And then they they kind of went off the rails and, and played some teams that were, you know, like the Nebraska game maybe doesn't happen. Uh, maybe they still lose to Iowa. But, you know, Nebraska and Maryland, things may have changed there. But, you know, they were able to do what they, they can do, and that is run the football. I mean, you know, 254 yards on the ground, it says a lot about them. It also says a lot about Michigan, and I think, I don't know, I mean, it, in a normal year, we would look at Harbaugh and say, all right, we see the end, but this is a different year. If he does stick around, I don't think you have the same defensive staff, no matter what Don Brown's reputation is. I mean, this is the eighth straight game. They've given up at least 24 points. They gave up 254 yards on the ground. And, of course, Cade McNamara, who looked pretty good in subbing against Rutgers a couple weeks ago, or a week ago, looked really bad. And so I, I just I think Michigan's getting out of control. I think Penn State probably looks at it and goes, you know, we've got uh, Rutgers and we've got uh, Michigan State to finish the season, then a crossover game. There's a chance you could win two or three of the next group and then feel like, okay, it wasn't totally a bad season. It wasn't very good, but we can kind of gather ourselves and, and play next year. Yeah. And then on the other hand, I think the season could not end fast enough for Michigan mm-hmm. um, and, and Michigan fans. And um, you know, it, it is a very interesting circumstance. We've talked about it on this podcast, you know, a number of times when, when you have, you know, an alum, when you have someone that you're sure was going to work, it makes it very uncomfortable. It's been uncomfortable for a couple of years here. Like, you know, it, again, it's when you don't beat Ohio state, it is uncomfortable. And so that has been happening the way it's been happening. But then something like this with, again, a number of new lows um, and, and basically a contract about to expire. That's not been extended. Like there are opportunities, but it has to be finessed. And so that's where you're at, you know, with that program, which is very different than, um, you know, other traditional, okay, the coach isn't working. We can just, you know, pay a buyout or whatever and move on. Um, so that's absolutely, again, we're going to say it every week, something to monitor. I, I, would be surprised if they made a change before the end of the season. And again, without any potential landing spot lined up to, to again, finesse that exit um, when it is a very accomplished alum. Um, but let's switch gears to the team that is having a great season in the East. Um, this is the team that now may be going to Indianapolis. We'll, we'll see. Depends on Ohio State and, and the rest and however many games they're able to get in here. But this is Indiana. They take care of business against Maryland. They even, you know, win handily without with Michael Penix Jr. getting injured. This defense is legitimate. Um, we we've talked a lot about the offensive playmakers. We know how much I love them, but this is a good Indiana team, um, and and it's quite possible, you know, again, depending on whether Ohio State can stay play this week, that they might be going to Indianapolis and playing Northwestern for a Big Ten championship, which is 
a crazy sentence to say, um, but also feels right. I mean, this is a team that is clearly not a fluke. It's not a fluke. It's a good team, no doubt about it. You know, and 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 it will get a test the next couple of weeks, uh, simply because this week they got to play Wisconsin on the road. Um, that's gonna that's gonna give them some challenges. Uh, then they've got to play their rival Purdue, and Purdue's got some weapons too. That's going to be an electrifying uh, game for the bucket because of the receivers that are on the field. There are NFL receivers for both teams, and that'll be fun. And that'll be a very committed game for Purdue as well as Indiana. And then their their crossover. I mean, if they go to Indy, they're probably playing Northwestern. That's going to be a really intriguing matchup. Or if they if Ohio State is able to play and go to Indy, then they probably play Iowa, and that's going to be a really challenging game for them too so they still got a gauntlet to run but you know I Tom Allen was my number two on Big Ten coach of the year going into the weekend he's now my number one for sure and that was Fitzgerald to come back the way he did because I mean Indiana did win eight games last year it wasn't just a it wasn't traditional Indiana but now to put him in this position to come back after a loss and play well and, and beat a team that had some explosive playmakers and to do it defensively and, you know, and, and cause, uh, you know, baby Tua to throw three interceptions and, and stuff. So, you know, he had a really poor game. I, I so I yeah. think Indiana is definitely, um, the defense you know, is, is real. It's a good defense. And, um, you know, I think, we're going to have to see them lean on that depending on, you know, what happens with Michael Penix Jr. Um, but, but we're going to have to see, and let, let's just do a we'll, – we'll wrap around the other games in the league and then we'll, we'll give you an update on Minnesota, the latest that we know out of there. Um, in a game and an outcome that honestly didn't surprise or shock anyone, didn't require live tweeting, Rutgers beat Purdue. And I felt like this is now a we're, – we're already into a world where we're no longer shocked when Rutgers wins a football game. I think if anyone has watched – some of their games this year, you could tell that there was certainly, you know, obviously they've gotten some impact transfers. Um, a, a lot of guys from other Big Ten teams that have been able to play um, and impact the games, like Aaron Crookshank, who had the the big return in this game. But but also they're just playing harder. They're playing differently. This is the Greg Schiano effect. And one of my main takeaways after a win like this is that this is why you brought back Greg Schiano to to get to a point where it's not oh my God, the world's on fire, Rutgers won a football game. But to be able to compete and beat teams that you think are within the realm of possibility for a Rutgers program in the league. Not, not the Ohio States in year one, but a Purdue. You know, again, the Michigan game, triple overtime, the quality of the Michigan program right now, that's the level Rutgers is at, right? So I just think like the fact that this isn't a major headline is a – is even more of a win for Rutgers because this is what they want. They don't want the world to freak out when they win a game. I th- This has been really impressive. And if it wasn't for Tom Allen, Shiano would be my number one because of this, because that team the last couple of years was the worst Big Ten team I'd seen since the early 80s Northwestern teams. And that's that's going way back, almost 40 years, but it's true. Rutgers looked like it had no business being in the Big Ten on the football field uh, up until Shiano took back over. And, you know, I mean, what I think our friend Dave Revson at the Big Ten Network <laughs> mentioned on the uh, final drive that, you know, the previous 39 games going into this year and early this year, uh, they had under 400 yards offense. The last three, they've had 400 plus. 
That is that is really good, and they and they've had the same quarterbacks they've had before. I mean, Vedral didn't even play against against Purdue. So I think what it does is, is, and you're right, is it elevates Rutgers to the level where it can beat like-minded programs or compete against them. Maybe they beat a Purdue and they lose to an Illinois, um, but they've got a chance to compete. You know, they've got Maryland coming up. Uh, you know, they've got Penn State coming up. You know, this year for against Penn State. What a statement that would make for that program mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. if they could get that win. And and to go to triple overtime against Michigan, yes, this is not Michigan, Michigan, but this is the, the yeah. t- same team with the same colors. To be able to do that, it says a lot about their competitiveness, and they could take that re- and recruit. He's got yep. a disciplined football program. So right now I, I think they've got to be thrilled. It, whatever happens out of this season, just to get themselves at that level where they're not averaging five points a game like they did last year. Yes, and again, this was another one of those programs that got no spring, zero yeah. spring practices, mm-hmm. so so even more remarkable. Uh, let, let's shift over to the game that you covered on Friday, the Iowa-Nebraska game, always one of the best games of the year in terms of um, a rivalry. Iowa gets the better of Nebraska. Um, Nebraska is now one in four on the season, clearly not having a season that they would have envisioned, um, you know, when they wanted to play so badly. I mean, it's again, it's not to say that only the good teams can beg to play, but when you want to play and you're working so hard for it, you certainly would hope that, you know, the results would show up in a different way. Losing a game to your rival Iowa like this, you know, is, is painful in, in any year, but especially now. And I'm curious, I, one thing that I think has been very interesting is Kirk Ferentz's reactions to some of these rivalry games. Um, coming out on the, on the better half of them, the, the, the coming out with wins, but that being a little bit spicy. And um, so walk me through his spiciness this time and also why you think he is just kind of leaning into this this year. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly different Kirk. Um, you know, I call him Salty Kirk now. You know, he's New Kirk a few years ago. Now it's Salty Kirk. And uh, it, it's interesting because what happened during the first half, uh, Nebraska goes on either silent count or, uh, you know, out of the shotgun. So it claps its hands. Uh, the, the quarterback does who Luke McCaffrey or Adrian Martinez. Well, Iowa on the sidelines was, were clapping their hands. Um, and Nebraska complained about it, you know, kind of using the dirt disconcerting signals angle of it. So they went to Kirk, uh, the officials did at halftime and said, Hey, we're getting complaints about you clapping your hands, you and your coaches, um, stop it. And Kirk's like, okay, okay, fine, we'll do that. And so then uh, he told all of his coaches, okay, don't do that. And, and he's like, I really struggled because sometimes, you know, somebody would make a good play or they're coming off the field. It's like, hey, good job. And, and then what really pissed him off, frankly, was he looked across the field and the Nebraska coaches were doing clapping routines. And it was like, that's when Kirk just, you know <laughs> – when somebody asked him, I think it was Chad Lysico from the Des Moines Register, asked him about the, you know, the saltiness that had started to ensue. Um, Kirk just <laughs> he teed off, and he even interrupted future questions, and to the point where one uh, reporter goes, "I don't even know what to ask you now." It's it's, uh, uh, but at the the one the line that he interrupted everybody with that really stuck with me was, "We should just go home now." What are we talking about? It's football, right? It's football. Are they okay about with how I dress today? Should I be changing my pants? Different shirt? What are we talking about? <laughs> and uh, so Kirk let it all out 
And this is, again, as you mentioned, the second rivalry game that he just had no blanks to give. And, <laughs> you know, the first one was Minnesota, and, and that one's been starchy for 100-plus years. This one is newer, uh, but there's always been rhetoric going across. This, these two fan bases um, don't get along at all. They, never, they haven't ever, but they didn't know how much they hated each other until they had to play each other every year. And that is kind of a, a self-righteousness, arrogance from Nebraska for their championship pedigree and Iowa not quite being there, being insecure with it. And so when they mesh, it's just this, you know, fire trap, if you will, on Twitter almost almost every day. Um, it's worse now than Iowa, Iowa State, if you can believe that. So it's just nasty. And, and But this one... It was a and is an entertaining game. Nebraska, I thought, played its best game because if Nebraska would have played the same way it did against Illinois, it would have been a it would have been a seal clubbing. But this was uh, different altogether. I mean, they played well. Iowa had to fight, but you know, won twenty six to twenty for the sixth straight time against the Cornhuskers. Yeah, and um, again, you know, we got to keep monitoring, um, you know, Ohio State's schedule the rest of the way, Minnesota's schedule the rest of the way. Some of these teams are going to be impacted. And and before we go, uh, you know, an, an update from Minnesota, you know, the outbreak there that they're dealing with has gotten worse. Um, you know, on, on Saturday night, uh, Minnesota sent out their latest release. They said that now they have since – November 19th, Minnesota has had 40 individuals, 20 athletes, 20 staff members test positive for COVID-19. Um, that was an additional 15 since their last update. Um, and so, so basically at this point, they are working through it. That is a lot of positive cases. Um, they say that their next update will be on Tuesday, December 1st, but it's hard to imagine that they're gonna be able to play this weekend. I would, I would think that the game after that would be in doubt as well. Um, it, it's just a mess there. And, and this is a part of the country where COVID has been hitting really hard and, and, it's, and it's hard to kind of dig out of that. And, um, you know, so, so I think that that's something to monitor as well. Um, and again, not just this week, but I think the weekend after as well. Oh, for sure. I mean, you look at uh, Minnesota, I mean, are they going to be able to play this weekend? I really doubt it. Uh, and it's, it's really unfortunate that they were not able to play the Axe game. I mean, that's been canceled once since 1890, and the, and the only time they didn't play was in 1906 when, when President Teddy Roosevelt instituted a ton of changes to the game, and they couldn't agree to play Michigan. Wisconsin couldn't agree to play Michigan and Minnesota, but they've played every year since. It's a storied rivalry. I think there's about five or six games in the Big Ten that you've got to try to get in under any circumstances, and that's one of them. Ohio State, Michigan's there. Indiana, Purdue's there. Um, Minnesota, Wisconsin, probably Iowa, Minnesota. A few others that are just Indiana, or yeah, Indiana, Purdue. I already said Michigan, Michigan State. They've. I here's what I kind of wonder if they've got to miss the next two weeks, including the final trip to Nebraska. When you get to crossover weekend, if let's say Iowa beats Wisconsin to finish the season, they're like third. Does the Big Ten say, you know, instead of having Minnesota play Rutgers and Wisconsin play Penn State, why don't you have them play each other? Maybe you have Michigan State play Maryland, 
you know, which was also canceled and then try to divide it up because again, being in this part of the world, that's just one game that you're like, uh, uh, I don't think that one should be canceled. I mean, if they need to play it in the middle of January, you know, on some road in between Madison and Minneapolis, go for it. Cause uh, that, that one kind of, I don't like it at all. No, I'm with you. I think that there hopefully would be that type of adjustment. I think we've seen that flexibility in the other leagues where they're trying to prioritize which games they want to play that last weekend or these last few weeks to get in. And you've got to prioritize rivalry games, divisional games that impact, you know, the, the conference championship race and things like that. So I'm totally with you. I think if you can adjust how you're doing it, it doesn't have to be all East versus West and you can make those exceptions for traditional rivalry games if Minnesota is able to be in full health and and able to play that weekend. I think that that is something they should do. So consider this podcast endorsing that idea because I think I am with you. If you can get certain games in, just blow up the rules. The rules don't need to be super rigid. I mean, if you get, you know, most of the games are are crossover games, it's fine. You don't need to, you don't need to to, to be so strict and so rigid about it. So I, I'm with you. And, and I think that that's something to monitor. Again, Minnesota is scheduled to play Northwestern this week, Nebraska, the final week of the regular season. Those are both probably up in the air and things to monitor. Another game, obviously we discussed Ohio state, Michigan state, that is a game to monitor this week as well. So, you know, we have daily podcasts. We will have updates. We will have the latest um, from, from all of our beat writers about these games, but you know, it, it, all of that is very pivotal and all of that will impact, you know, who we see in Indianapolis for, for that conference championship game. They all do. I mean, you know, we could see Little Red or Big Red, uh, you know, depending on whether or not, uh, you know, they might miss their second home game, which would be a big, big deal for Nebraska if Minnesota can't play that weekend. Um, you know, would there be, you know, if let's say there's a couple of games canceled, would there be any kind of scheduling like we've seen in the SEC where, okay, uh, let's say Minnesota can't play, maybe even, oh, can you imagine if, if Ohio State can't play Michigan? I mean, that's that's right. right up there with Minnesota, Wisconsin, probably even beyond that. But maybe it's a, okay, Michigan, you play Nebraska or something to that effect, just to kind of get in some games. I. This has been a tough year, but here we are. And uh, if we see Northwestern Indiana and Indianapolis, it'll be the first and only time that'll happen. Um, but hey, it's a championship game, and and then I'm just really anxious to see what happens with Ohio State. I think that's the that's the linchpin for the whole league. Yes, absolutely. And you know what? The best part about all of that is that um, tomorrow's episode of this podcast of the Big Football Show features our Ohio State beat writer, Bill Landis. So he will have the absolute latest for the Buckeyes and their situation, their college football playoff hopes. Um, so be sure to listen tomorrow. It's Bill, it's Audrey Snyder. They break down the Big Ten East. As always, we want to thank you, our legends and listeners, for spending some time with us and adding us to your podcasting rotation. Please subscribe, rate, and review us. Five stars, just like Ari Wasserman's favorite prospects. For Scott Doctorman, I'm Nicole Auerbach, and we'll see you next Monday. 